This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. Today and Friday in the studio with us again is our guest, Brianne Feeling. Hi, Brianne. Hello. Happy happy Wednesday to you. Oh, thank you. It's a beautiful Wednesday today. Mm-hmm. Actually, what day is today? November 1st. Yep. No. October 31st. No, I was saying like literally what day is it? Oh, that we're recording? <laughs> yeah. Yes, October 31st. <laughs> it's all a facade. Um, anyway, so this, uh, the next two episodes, we're going to be talking. And about- it's also freezing. So oh my gosh, just so for your cool. beautiful day comment. All a facade. It was a lie too. Um, so the next two days, we're going to be talking about women in ministry. And uh, obviously this is a fairly heated subject. And I think the question for today um, really lends itself to the heat that surrounds this. So the question for today is this. Is it not sexist and misogynistic to not let a woman preach or be a pastor? So um, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to create some framework today and then uh, come back on Friday. And we're going to spend some time in one of the most controversial texts around this issue. We'll take some time, exposit it, bring it to life, and really try to get down to the the core of God's heart and intention. So bring it, but let's start off because uh, what we hear is this word misogyny um, thrown around a ton, um, particularly by the liberal community, accusations against conservatives. What does the word misogynistic or misogyny actually mean? All right. So according to the all-knowing source of Wikipedia. Which is flawless and impeccable. <laughs> misogyny is defined as the hatred of contempt for or prejudice against women or girls. It goes on to give some examples of what it um, can be like, whether that's social exclusion, discrimination, hostility. And then it also ac- actually in the definition goes on to say that misogyny can occasionally be found within the sacred texts of religions and goes on to talk about different people who are, kind of fall into that camp. Yep. So as, as a woman, would you self-identify as uh, misogynistic? No. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's interesting because you're bringing to light something crazy, which is that it's plausible you could be a conservative evangelical Christian, even maybe even believe in some sex-specific restrictions in ministry and yet not be misogynistic. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, um, they might be listening and that might be a brand new category for them. Um, and so I think it's interesting because we're going to try to parse this out a little bit. And uh, one, of, one of the things that I want to put on the table just to kind of set the stage of our of our conversation is, uh, is something that I like to teach people, but it's it's kind of a, I don't know, uh, a not normal way that people view the world. And so uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say um, we have a proposition and the proposition is controversial. Let's say the proposition on the table is um, women should not be pastors. So you can have two different people who look at this one proposition, this one idea, and they have opposite uh, emotional reactions to it. One person looks at this proposition and they say, uh, this is misogynistic, it's sexist, it's abusive, it's patriarchal, it's all of these things, and they are angry at it. Another person, um, could be a woman also, says, um, this is good and this is right and logical and makes sense to me. Well, what is the difference between person A and person B? Because you have two different people, both of them, let's say, are Americans, but they're looking at the same proposition with complete opposite reactions. 
And what, I, what I'd like to submit is that the difference between person A and person B is simply their authority. And your authority is the lens through which you see and feel and process the world and truth and beauty. And so there are, there are really two basic um, sources of authority. Source number one is going to be your culture. And uh, everybody is influenced by our culture, Christian or otherwise. It doesn't matter. It's in your blood. You see the world a certain way. Um, but culture, um, it's very logical. And as an American, you should be able to see this, that culture is going to process this proposition that women should not be pastors um, as a bad thing. And if that's your authority, then necessarily you are going to be processing that proposition in that way. But if your authority is the word of God and the word of God says something different, then what you're going to do is you're going to process this proposition through a different lens, through a different grid, and it's going to lead you to different emotional, logical conclusions. And what we have oftentimes in this whole women issue in terms of the church is uh, not necessarily good people and bad people. It is a filter that is predetermining how we see different propositions. And so one of the things in the Q&A podcast that we like to do is to say, let's identify what the culture says because it's real and it's there and it's in all of us, right? Um, but one of our our jobs, which is what makes this so controversial sometimes for people, is that we are processing questions not through the cultural lens, but through the lens of the Word of God. And uh, oftentimes the conclusions that we come to are counter uh, what is ha- what culture is saying. And so Brianne and I, you know, we find ourselves in predicaments because Brianne, you run a counseling center, right? And uh, I can imagine multiple scenarios where somebody says, this is how I see the world. And you have to help them see the world in a different way through the lens of, of God's word. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, just process for a minute, like even in a counseling circumstance, um, uh, how do people usually respond when they when they hear your feedback and perspective on their issues from the perspective of God's word? I can think of one particular client, and they will <laughs> they will usually be like, "No, no, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. I'll be like, "Well, actually, I'm actually not asking you to discredit it and throw it out right now. I'm actually asking you to think about it and see if the Holy Spirit will meet you in that place and confirm any of that in your heart and line it up with what the scripture has to say. Mm. And so I think a lot of my clients, especially when they don't have a strong of a maybe biblical worldview or um, a biblical understanding of the world around them, they are very quick to be like, no, that's uncomfortable. And I don't like that, Mm. which I can 100% empathize with how so many things that are countercultural, they feel weird and strange immediately. But I'll ask them just to sit with it and to line it up with the word of God and also a lot of times be able to say, okay, Lord, show up in this moment and reveal to me what your word says and how Mm. that speaks to me. And I will say one particular client will generally be like, nope, nope, nope. mm -mm." (laughs) And then I would say within a, and this is common all the time. And so I'll say often to him, you know, then about 2.2 seconds, the Lord is going to like show up and you're going to agree with me. Right. And he'll often be like, oh no, you're, you're right. And he'll get to a place where he's able to say, I can't argue with that. Mm. I don't like it. It doesn't feel comfortable and it's not my favorite, but I see that that is true. And that is what I need to readjust my thinking towards and then therefore my actions to follow up after that. So as you deal with a lot of clients, uh, is it fair to say that a lot of the clients you deal with do not have a deep, um, theologically developed biblical worldview? Um, There's just such a variety. They're all over the spectrum. So I get the privilege of working with people who come in from our community and maybe went to 
church from the ages of like seven to nine and have never thought about it since then and people who have degrees from seminary. So I yep. I get the privilege of kind of working the whole gamut, which I really enjoy being able to have totally. different conversations on different levels of how culture affects them and but biblical knowledge they kind of bring already to the situation. Yep. So let, let's say you have somebody who does not have a developed worldview from the Bible. What is going to be the primary worldview they bring in into their counseling sessions with you? So I would say culture, but I, I would also, I've never articulated the answer to this question. So here it comes. Um, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I would say whatever, which is cultural feels correct to yep, them. Yep. And so, and feels loving and feels safe. Yep. What's really valuable about what you're saying is that culture, all of us, it predetermines for us what feels safe and what feels rational and what feels logical. Uh, it, it is this quiet force behind us that is working to predetermine our conclusions for us. So when you come to a counseling table uh, with somebody, you are working against the grain of what is natural for them mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the things that we tell people when we deal with the word of God as your authority or culture is that culture is constantly progressing, which is where the word progressives come from. And I warn people that the things that culture tells you are good and right now, um, it will keep progressing and pushing the boundaries further so that the things that you call abhorrent now, it will mandate you to call good later because it is constantly growing more liberal and making morally good and acceptable things that were not. It's sort of the nature of the progression that it happens. But when the Bible is your authority, it is static and it's constant. It's always relevant for every culture, but it's not changing its ideas. It's changing, if you will, how it applies into each culture. And so what you have is on these issues of, of women in leadership and homosexuality and et cetera, abortion, and the list goes on and on. Culture is consistently progressing, but the Bible is staying the same. But as culture progresses, the two get farther and farther apart and they get more hostile toward each other. Um, one of the things I like to do is is build empathy between the two and say, you may be growing farther and farther apart, but you don't have to be as violent against each other maybe as you're as you're tempted um, to be. So, Brian, let's let's come back to this issue now. We've kind of set some framework here of um, women in ministry, right? Mm -hmm. So, articulate for me what culture, just some values that culture would have. Um, and they might be good. Not everything culture says is always bad, right? I mean, some things the culture supports and promotes are really good things. But what are just some values around um, uh, women, ministry, leadership, et cetera, that are high cultural values? Again, not not saying these are all bad. I think, I don't know what to totally call it because I think the word feminist has some strange awful connotations mm -hmm. in our culture today, but it started out, I believe, as a word that was able to see the value for women and yeah. who God created them to be. So since I don't have another, we should make up another word to use, but I don't have one at this very second. Pro-women. Pro-women. like Schmeminist. <laughs> being able to see, Being able to see a woman's value and who God created her to be. So I think culture, by and large, even in the last, let's say, 100 years, ish and a little bit more has really begun to see hey women have a lot of value and that value is in the world and that value is also in the home and that value is also in the church and all these different places and really beginning to admire and honor value that women have have always had and so i think when we look at culture i think culture has done some beautiful things to bring that to the forefront and to honor that 
And then I think culture has done some really hard things um, to even kind of twist that a lot of times. Mm. And so when we talk about what is going on in our culture, I think, yeah, there's beautiful things and twisting things. And so some of those things would be empowering women um, on to different degrees to be able to know their giftings. I think especially within the church to be able to equip them to use those giftings, provide them with the skill, provide them with the training to be able to be excellent servants in that area. I think it's also ignited a flame of almost bitterness or defensiveness or just a very fierce in an inappropriate way um, within the church and within the world also. Mm. I call it bitterness because bitterness usually is the characteristic that I think of when you get towards someone and they just feel a little spiky. Mm. And as you talk to them about different things, they're just very porcupine. harsh. Yes, porcupine-ish. Like you, you begin to get a sense of being around them that you're walking on eggshells or you're going to offend them one way or the other. And um, everything comes back to this identity of being like a woman who should be valued and all that can be appropriate and wonderful in a certain context and all that can be super inappropriate and, and angry and angry. Yeah. yeah. So personally, I often find myself in this kind of cultural world, very hesitant and tiptoeing because I don't see a lot of it playing out on the beautiful spectrum. I mm. see a lot of it playing out on the porcupine aspect yep. of the spectrum and I wish I had better words to describe those and so I, I would love to see the honoring and empowering and releasing of women Moody Bible Institute um, just had their missions conference this fall and their entire theme was called her and it was looking at women and missions in the past and how to honor their stories how to empower women more in the mission field and how to release them in their ministries. And I just thought that was the greatest acronym ever because I think that's a lot of where my heart is personally for myself, for my children, for our church, is how do you look at who God has made all of these women to be and absolutely 100% honor that and always be glorifying Him and always be submitting to mm. the structures that He's put in place for what is going to be most honoring to Him in that way. Yeah, I think you, you hit something on the head here, which is that um, what we're seeing culturally, and again, this is understandable. So a lot of times when we use the word culture, we we mean bad things. And sometimes mm -hmm. we just mean neutral or good things because, mm -hmm. again, everything about our culture isn't bad. But there is a dominant thrust of our culture that is a little more sinister than the word of God. Right. And uh, But whenever you have historically oppressed groups, which women need to be in that category, the fact mm -hmm. that women couldn't even vote is an insane thought. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the African-American community. You mm -hmm. have, uh, I mean, we could go on and on uh, the experience of the Latino community in, in America, the illegal immigrant community. Whenever you have an oppressed group of people, mm -hmm. that group of people is legitimately angry because mm -hmm. the history of oppression has right. led them to a Hurt. legitimate mm -hmm. disadvantage now. Mm -hmm. It is legitimately hurtful. Like, Hearing my nine-year-old daughter write papers on um, feminists of the 50s and 60s who um, ushered in an era of women's lib in a way that was good. There were some bad aspects to that, but there are some mm -hmm. great aspects. Mm -hmm. She talks about the old America in such a funny way. Like, oh, yeah, women were allowed to vote. Women weren't important. Black people, you know, like she, she just has such a interesting way. But when she says it, it's almost so sad that we, we were ever there. But the response now is a new permission— to not just make the world better and fight, but mm -hmm. to be angry and prickly. Yes. And there's a lot of venom. Which, and, uh, which, which is, if you think about it, yeah. it's so confusing in what you're trying to accomplish because it actually brings more hatred and chaos into the world yep. than order and beauty. 
Totally. I understand it. And so one of the things that I, I believe is like one of the greatest privileges of my life is that I have grown up around men who have treated me wonderfully my entire life, whether it's my dad or my grandpa's or my friends, like I had awesome friends in high school who just respected me and they weren't perfect. Like they'd be, they said hurtful things and whatever. They were 12 through 18 the entire <laughs> time. And, um, but yet at the same time, like they honored me and they respected me. And mm. I would even say they empowered me and did all sorts of things going into college, like same thing, lots of stupid men I was around, but at the same time, um, very respectful and very honoring. And so, um, growing up a village church, like I could start listing off a list of what different men in church have done that have hurt my feelings or I found offensive at different times. But overall, absolutely very respecting and empowering and honoring. Mm. It's and a so, very unique privilege. A, an that extremely you've unique privilege. Yeah. And different workplace environments I've had. Also the same thing, just being able to, I don't even know, like not take anything from anyone and mm. then therefore kind of earn kind of a place of respect and have it go kind of well. Yep. And so I work with a lot of women though, and um, their experiences with men throughout their lives are awful, mm. whether that's their dads or their brothers or their uncles or their teachers or their men in their neighborhoods and just let, whether it be on all sides of them, they have not been respected. They have not been empowered and they have not been honored. Um, and more and more, I just, I watch the stories of women and I see that they've never even had a man step into their lives who was any of those things. And so I do get to a place, you know, I've talked to women who are trying to reenter into the dating world after having a man treat them horrible and, you know, just oh, be awful to them in having affair after affair and they try to enter into the dating world and they are just being hit on and trying to be sexually used by so many men. and Who claim the name of Christ. Who claim the name of Christ, absolutely. And so listening to their stories, you know, one of them said, like, I can understand so well this entire violent, more bitter, angry feminist movement, seeing that this is the world that they're interacting with, that they are not interacting with men, they are interacting with Children in men's bodies. Exactly. And that gives me so much compassion to understand, too, culturally, where this angry, bitter part comes from, because that's their experiences. And it's very hard to not live out of your experiences. Yep. And it's very hard to trust that there is a man that is honoring and respectful and wants to empower women and wants to mm. give them chances and, you know, raise them up and develop their gifting and release them into the world when you have never seen one. Oh. And so I can understand fully and completely why when people look at the church and they hear these boundaries or they hear these concepts that they believe that they are out for hurting and they believe that they are out for, well, overall, just not for their good when that's their experience and that's mm. the world that they've lived in. Yep. I get really excited to raise our daughters, two daughters, seven and nine right now in in the Village Church because I really do see that there is such a high value to develop and release women and their giftedness. So like I'm sitting across the table from you who is strongly gifted in leadership and teaching, which in a lot of church contexts, especially historically, would be seen as threatening gifts to be stifled. And for you to be able to exercise those gifts and yet you exercise them in a church where we don't have women pastors right. and uh, women don't preach in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And again, I know that when some people hear me say that, they're thinking, well, no, then you are automatically oppressing. Oppression, that term has to be contained because, for example, as a Christian, if I have a 12-year-old son 
who wants to transition to be a girl. I'm not oppressing him by saying no. I'm actually freeing him and preventing him from, from being somebody other than who God made him to be. Mm. And so the, the idea of oppression is that you have a God-ordained given obligation to something or right to something, and or we're holding that back, or opportunity. Mm-hmm. But if the Lord, who is our greatest authority in his perfect holiness and righteousness and wisdom, which transcends all the cultural whims of today and tomorrow and yesterday— says, no, I'm going to put an eternal restriction on something, not out of hate or spite or anything of the sorts, but out of pure goodness and design and intention and functionality. We find that whenever people do something in a way that is not how God intended, inevitably, it may not even be right away, but inevitably something breaks down, you know, and that's not the way God wants it to function. And there are greater examples of these and lesser examples Mm -hmm. of these, but the idea of oppression is holding someone back from from a God-given opportunity, right, or obligation. So from the Christian perspective, we can't call it oppression if what's motivating us is explicit, clear teaching from God's Word. At that point, it no longer becomes oppression, but freedom. Right. And so we do that as Christians and people who love looking at the way the Word of God allows us and expects us to do life versus the way culture wants us to do life on any subject, we've already begun to find a lot of freedom in all sorts of areas of our life by submitting to his way of doing things. And so one of the greatest ways that you and I have seen this in counseling is let's just take the area of sexuality. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different approaches and um, beliefs and views and all sorts of different things on sexuality and our culture. And one of the greatest joys that we've had is to be continue to call people back to how God has designed sexuality and to honor that. And so in premarital counseling, that's something that we have an opportunity to do with lots of couples is to be able to say, hey, this is the way that God designed this entire system. And so there is no greater joy or peace or opportunity outside of the way he's designed that than there is inside of the way that he has designed that. And to call people to live in submission to the way he's designed that to show up, to let, to allow him to show up and watch him work mm-hmm. when we are within the constructs of the boundaries that he's placed in that area. Yep. If Pastor Tim would hear, he would use a car analogy <laughs> and I'll take it another step further. So he would say, you know, cars are designed to function in a certain way, but you can swap parts here and there. You can put the wrong kind of oil in the wrong kind of gas and it'll get you, it actually may still get you from point A to point B. You know what I mean? It doesn't totally break everything down. Like it still functions. And whenever something isn't functioning normally, we acclimate to the dysfunction, right? So right now there's a few things in my car that aren't working normally. I don't even think about them mm-hmm. until I'm in a car that works normally. Right. I'm like, like oh. it's like, it's like a relief. Yeah. And it's like um, an acknowledgement immediately. So we used to live in our old house and we had all these things that were broken in our house and we would just kind of go around and accept them. It's a great yeah, example. I work so around them. We our take sink, extra steps. I can't remember exactly what our sink did, but I remember our sink did something ridiculous in our kitchen and we were just used to holding it in and then using uh, yeah. two hands and doing all this kind of stuff to turn it on. And your mom would come over all the time and be like, oh, what is wrong with this sink? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until then that I'd be like, yeah, uh, why yeah. did we do that? That'd so then weird. we went to sell our house, right? Yeah. We had the sink fixed. And I remember the first time I turned it on, I was like, yeah. oh, that is like a rush of peace yeah. and everything that came over me to be able to use something in that system. Yeah. And I think that's a great example to show that like so many times we can switch out those things. We can accept them. Maybe they don't make the biggest 
they don't make a ton of racket, you know. Yes. You might it might even just be getting poor gas mileage. It might even be <laughs> innocuous, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at your bottom line, you're like, wow, I'm paying three hundred dollars or more in gas per year. I didn't even realize it. Right. And there is a difference between your faucet not working and acclimating and your heater not working in the winter, mm-hmm. where that changes everything. Now, can you live? Yeah, but you're gonna be ineffective and you're gonna be wrapped up in a blanket all winter and freezing all night long. And that and that's the way design works, though, is that there what we confess as Christians is that there is a designer who is perfect and holy in his design. Mm -hmm. And sin has caused us to rebel against the design. And culture is not primarily influenced by God. Um, And and we have to understand that it's primarily influenced by sin. And sin does not like the things of God. Mm -hmm. And so there is a natural progression or progressiveness to culture that is seeking to move away from the design that God has created. But as we move away from that design, we have now more broken homes, more broken marriages, more broken kids. The list goes more broken sexuality, uh, more insanity, uh, more taxes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, what we find is that the more culture wins, the more broken people become. And it's hard to watch. It's hard to to see that. Um, But at the same time, we also have to admit that as we look back at the history of the church, there have been really some really terribly broken things in the church. And um, just because the church has the word of God and they may even have a correct interpretation of something, their implementation of that can be very, very harmful. And so what we always have to recognize, like even right now, there are ways that I am influenced by culture um, that I don't even know. And 50 years from now, I will look back and I will regret some things that we did in the way we did them. Um, very simply because they're blind spots. And every culture and generation has to own that. Um, the church should have been on the front lines of uh, women's liberation, especially in mm-hmm. voting and work rights and mo- mm-hmm. uh, compensation. The list, you know, We should have been on the front lines of some of that stuff. But culturally, the church was blind to that. And uh, that doesn't make them innocent, but it's something that we have to recognize. And so some people are legit in saying the church has been really harmful to me. And there are, let me be really straight. There are some local churches that I could never in a million years encourage somebody to go to because of the way they treat women. Mm -hmm. I would never encourage my daughters to stay in a church where there was not a high, high value from the top down and the bottom up of developing and releasing women all over the church in different forms of leadership and teaching and communication and serving and team building, the list goes on and on, which is why it's really, really important to be clear-headed on what the Bible restricts and what it does not, where it restricts it so that we don't unnecessarily overcompensate and harm people by not releasing them to the full potential that God has, A, given them, Mm -hmm. and then B, ordained for them. And I think this is where um, we should come back on Friday and uh, I think it would be really good would be to work through a couple of verses in the book of First Timothy, plod through those things, and uh, talk about what it means at Village, um, what it means for you as a leader and a teacher, um, what God's design is, and maybe we can break down some of the misconceptions. And at the very least, if you are not a Christian or you don't agree with our perspective on it, that's totally fine. But maybe what it'll give you an opportunity to, to do is to empathize and to say, okay, where do they come from? Like, what what is their perspective? Yes. And so I have a few thoughts in terms of uh, the history of women and leadership throughout Scripture that I think would be maybe valuable to share also. So if you want more on this, uh, I'd love to invite you invite you back. Brian. I want to give you the final word before we close. What say you, my wife? I think— I would just close by saying that this subject has been something that has been a battle even in my own heart for a long time to try to understand how my—so this is a very personal topic because being a woman and having certain 
giftings and skills that combine. I think even growing up at Village Church um, has not always been the easiest to be able to understand how that plays out. And so um, this doesn't come from like a cold place or from an unpersonal place. This comes from a very personal journey for me to be able to understand who am I, how the Lord has created me, what does our culture say that is beneficial or lies, and what does the authority of Scripture say in terms of how it releases me or puts boundaries around me. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow, but I think just, yeah, this has been a very personal subject probably for the last, like, mm, I feel like. Whole life? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can remember thinking about this even before junior high. And so wrestling with it and trying to come to an understanding of, Lord, what pleases you? And I, I want to submit to you because I know that there is freedom in there. Mm. Yet at the same time, I don't want to believe even cultural Christian lies as to how this works and what this is supposed to look like. I just, I want to be free in you and what that looks like. So yeah, it's been a very personal part of my journey to try to understand what is most pleasing to the Lord. And so it is one of my favorite subjects to talk about, but it's also very deeply personal. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. We will see you guys Friday. Thank you. Thank you.